During the Sunday homily, I try to give you something to take home. I try to give you something to think about. And uh, I'm very grateful that some have given me some very positive feedback on homilies, and some have also helped me to perhaps give uh, better homilies. I was talking to a friend of mine not too long ago, and he said, your homilies are heavy duty. And I thought to myself for a while, I don't think that's a compliment, although he meant it as that. <laughs> and sometimes when people say something like that, they probably say that you, you put a lot of work into them, but we did actually understand most of what you said. So um, today I'm going to kind of uh, take it to a very, very kind of simple approach and tell you how I try to prepare homilies, how I read the Bible, and how also reading the Bible and applying the Bible is not the exclusive role of the priest. It's actually for every single one of you to do on a daily basis. And one thing to keep in mind is that when reading verses is important. You know, today some people have apps on their phones, which are great. A, a particular verse pops out, a uh, verse of the day, which is wonderful. However, the Bible is not a verse. And even more so, when you come to church and we are only able to read a certain part of the gospel and a certain part of the epistle. But even that is not the Bible. The Bible is the entire Old Testament and the entire New Testament together. So that is quite uh, a task, first of all, to read the entire Old Testament and New Testament and understand how all these different parts integrate with each other. Sometimes we call the Bible a book. You know, if it were, um, if were, uh, if were, if it were a book that was um, any other book other than the Bible, it would have been on the New York Times bestseller list every single year from the time they started that list up until eternity. There are more copies of the Bible that are sold than any other book in the history of the world. And no other book has been translated into more languages than the Bible. That in itself should give us um, important reason to read the Bible despite its difficulties. So not only are verses not the Bible, but sections are not the Bible. The entire Bible is the Bible. And as I said, although it's considered a book, it actually is a variety of books put together that have a relationship with each other. And the good news about our Catholic Church and our faith is that there are some of the most outstanding research that has been done and put into a very condensed version of Bibles. And when you are looking for a Bible, I mentioned this earlier, but it's always worth repeating, look for two words or three words in, in your search, Catholic, study, Bible. And there are a variety of them. This is one of them in particular, Catholic, study, Bible. This one is also one of my favorites. This is just the New Testament. This is the Oxford Catholic Study Bible. And then there is one that is very uh, popular and one of my, actually the, my favorite ones of all ones that are directed to a younger audience, the youth, but actually I love this. It's even great for adults. The reason why we want to focus on a Catholic study Bible, first of all, a Catholic Bible has all the books of the Bible. Our Protestant brothers and sisters don't have some of the books of the Old Testament, which today I won't be able to get into that. It's a bit too long. The second thing that's very important about a Catholic study Bible is not only the text that has been studied by thousands and thousands of scholars and put into 
the, the translation that we have in today that is more or less understandable in contemporary English. But I'll use this Bible as an example. This is the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible, the Catholic, Catholic New Testament, is in addition to the text on top, which you see here, there are almost half the page, in some cases, the footnotes. And why are the footnotes important? The footnotes would not be important at all if you had the entire Bible memorized. If you don't have the entire Bible memorized, then you're going to need the footnotes. I personally must admit, I have not been able to memorize the entire Bible yet. So whenever I read a Bible, I need a few crutches. I need the footnotes. Why are these footnotes important? Take, for example, today's gospel. Um, every single part of the gospel, every word, has a larger a context to it. And if we're just reading that section, we actually don't know what that larger context is in some cases. Some cases where if you read the Bible more deeply, you kind of understand what they're referring to. And that was one of the qualities or traits of writing the Bible, early Christian literature, is that a text was not necessarily written in a way to be creative, but to integrate other aspects of other very important texts. In the case of the Bible, it was the Old Testament. So when Jesus and the apostles spoke of the scriptures, what were they referring to? They were referring to the Old Testament. All that was said of me in the prophets um, and in the law and the prophets, that is the Old Testament. So if we don't know the Old Testament, then we're missing the entire history of the preparation for Jesus Christ. So that's why it's very important when we read verses to understand the context of the paragraph, the context of the chapter, the context of the book, in, in this case, the Gospel of Matthew, and then the context of the entire Gospel. So that can be quite daunting, but we should still try as much as possible to connect some of these dots. So for example, uh, the first verse chapter, uh, of chapter 9 in the Gospel of Matthew, verse 1, Jesus crossed over and came to his own town. You might wonder, well, where's his own town? Nazareth, yes. And if you didn't know that, um, the region, the footnote here, his own town, Capernaum in Galilee, and then it'll give you the further footnotes of where Jesus grew up. Matthew 4.13, Mark 2.5, and uh, other verses here. That in itself gives you the cross-reference, the bridge to what the meaning of these verses are. That's actually, that's of, of all the verses in today, that's the least one that is important. But at least we're able to understand um, sections that don't explain themselves. More important verses in this um, passage are when Jesus approaches, Jesus brought, people brought to Jesus a paralyzed man lying on a pallet. Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the man, take courage, son, your sins are forgiven you. Okay, what happens after Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you? The scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes. Another very important word, actually two important words there. The scribes and blasphemy. He blasphemes. Well, what is blasphemy and who are the scribes, right? And this is where the footnotes will help you. Then Jesus, knowing their hearts, said, why do you harbor evil thoughts in your hearts? So, to know who the scribes are, and all the different parts of the New Testament and the Old Testament that mentions the scribes and explains to us why the scribes had a, had a difficulty with Jesus and why they were able to publicly challenge him. It's because here in this particular um, 
Bible, the footnotes, 9, chapter, chapter 9, verse 3, the scribes, the Jewish leaders and experts in the Mosaic law. The episode marks the beginning of a growing resistance to Jesus, which culminates in his death. And then it gives you further cross-references, chapter 16, verse 21, 2018, 27, 41 to 43. And then you can go to those verses and see other instances where the scribes challenge Jesus from early on in his life all the way to his death and resurrection. Now, as I said, try to keep my, my homily, my reflection today shorter. I won't read each and every one of them for you. So number one, you're able to know, you may have heard this, and you're like, scribes, well, I uh, don't know who scribes are. They're not part of our world. It's a different world that we're reading to be able to understand that these were authorities in the law who were able, who had the public authority to challenge Jesus. Now, this is where it becomes the drama, if you will, or the education or the knowledge of, of who Jesus is becomes even more and more important because if you can imagine at the time Jesus appears, he's teaching, and then the leaders come to challenge him. So in a sense, who has a higher authority? They do. Now, this is where Jesus turns the tables on them, right? He says, what is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say arise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, arise, take up your pallet and go to your house. In other words, Jesus didn't only do things when he was challenged, he proved that he had the authority to forgive sins, and in this case, he also had the authority over life and death. Now, this is where the Old Testament comes into play once again. Who, uh, who created us? God. God is the one who created us in his image and likeness. God gave us breath. God gave us life. And when we die, here is Jesus giving us life, giving us, giving us uh, breath again, giving us healing of our soul and body. So one, from one angle, this may have been just a very interesting story of Jesus healing a paralyzed man. But there is a backstory that is even richer that connects the Old Testament, Jesus' authority to move forward, Jesus as the recognized Messiah that the entire Old Testament was preparing for. So I'll let you look up those verses. I had looked them up, and I always kind of, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I always over-prepare. I have always too much. I was used to actually teaching one-and-a-half-hour classes, so I try to condense, condense that into 10 minutes. It never works, but I am doing my best. The other very, very important part of this passage. The first part went back, went back to the Old Testament, proving that Jesus is the Messiah, proving that Jesus is God who became flesh, and now we're going to move forward into the life of the church. Jesus says, take up your pallet and walk, and then he says to him, your sins are forgiven you, and they challenge him who can forgive sins but God alone. And as I mentioned on the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, and I've mentioned to some of you recently, the role of the church is to incarnate into very practical and visible ways the ministry of Jesus. Jesus healed in his life. The early church established hospitals. Jesus taught in his life the early church. And up till today, around the entire world, Catholic churches establish schools, the ministry of healing, the ministry of teaching. And then at a church level, there's also the, the, vis the, the visible establishment of the ministry of forgiveness of sins. And as you know, that is present in the sacrament of confession, the sacrament of reconciliation, where Jesus tells his disciples, the sins you forgive, 
they are forgiven. The sins you retain, they are retained. Jesus establishes the principles and the ministry of the early church that were continued up until today. So in the footnotes again, you'll begin to see Matthew, the footnote on Matthew 9, 8, authority to men. The crowd links Jesus' authority with his power to forgive. Matthew's description points forward the sacrament of reconciliation. After his resurrection, Jesus invests other men, apostles, with this same power to forgive sins in his name. See John 20, 23, and Matthew 18, 18. I had marked them off, but for the sake of time, um, I'll leave that up to you. And also, um, there was a reference in there to Leviticus, which is in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, the third book of the Old Testament that refers to what blasphemy is in the Old Testament, those who speak against God, those who teach something different than what the law may or may not appear to have said. This is why it's so important to not just, first of all, it's important to come to church, but then it's important not only to come to church, but to go home before having lunch today, before dinner, before you watch any program or respond to any messages on your phone, read this passage. Read Matthew chapter 9 together. If you have guests over, read it with them. And look at the footnotes and assign to each one around the table different parts of the Old Testament and New Testament so that you may be able to see the Bible not as just a bunch of random verses that are helpful and not even a bunch of passages, but an entire book that is an entire library given to us by, by God himself for our daily growth in our spiritual life, but also in our ability to grow and to love him more and in the case of this passage and what the church did and what we do as the living word of God to establish visibly every single aspect of Jesus' ministry in our life as individuals and in our life as a worldwide Catholic community.